Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This week's major spoilers podcast is brought to you by Brian Aaron, Jeffrey Sire, Daniel Purcell, Tan Jin Ming. I love that name, by the way. Christopher Hudspeth, Brian Gettinger, Mark, Cello Porplati Alarcon, Charles Alba, Trevor, whose name has lots and lots and lots of vowels at the end, Darren Apple, and Eric Steele. Faithful spoiler rights, one and all, and this one goes out today. I'm going to try Ewit Valuglit. Good. I tried to pronounce it right, and I had it wrong, so... The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, there is nothing wrong with your MP3 player. Do not attempt to adjust the volume. We are controlling your MP3 player. We already control the horizontal and the vertical. Now we control the digital. We can change the focus from an indistinct whisper to crystal clarity. Sit quietly and listen along. We will control all you see and hear. You are about to experience the awe and mystery, which reaches from the inner belly button to the Major Spoilers podcast on the air. Welcome to issue 511 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for so much for being a part of the Major Spoilers Nation. So right. Head over to Majorspoilers.com for all the information that you're going to find. A lot on the plate this week, including uh, Tokyo Babylon, which we'll get to a little bit later. First of all, for those of you who don't listen to all of our other shows and were wondering, where was the Major Spoilers Podcast last week? Internet mm-hmm. outage. Boo. Mm. Boo. I blame Zach. I don't, I don't even work for your provider. Rodrigo and well, I. Because I blame you because I would go to your provider if your provider would come over sometime earlier between the stated times of April and August to hook up my fiber. So. I'm just saying I would, I would hook it up if I knew how. It's just right up there. It needs the adapter and the plug-in and it's done. Sometime between spoilers. April and August. So, it, listeners, if you want to find out what's going on, a couple of things you can do. You can follow us at uh, at Major Spoilers on Twitter. We'll update you if a show's not going to be there. Uh, you can certainly follow the Master Spoil or the Major Spoilers Master Podcast feed. Uh, you can find that over at iTunes. You can get all the shows. That way, you can hear about what's going on. And uh, we hope that we don't have interruptions like that again, which are beyond our control. Because then it prevents us from getting to such wonderful, fascinating things like news. News. So a couple of things this week. The Teen Titans Go has drawn a lot of ire. Uh, the Clone Wars is coming to an end on the Cartoon Network. And you make the card, says Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. You make the card. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see where we land. There it goes, there it goes, there it goes, and there it stops. Right there on Teen Titans Go draws ire from fans. So 
a couple of weeks ago, we found out that uh, they're canceling uh, um, Young Justice. Yes. Right. And also the Green Lantern animated series. And they are bringing back, and this is DC Comics uh, Action Block in conjunction with Cartoon Network. They're bringing Teen Titans Go to the lineup. Now, Zach, you're mighty excited about this. Uh, Well, I, <laughs> compared to everyone's uh, hatred for what's come out, yeah. That would that would mean I'm excited. Um, I when I first watched the little uh, thirty second teaser, I I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, and uh, I'm actually seven year old Zach uh-huh. kind of way that um, I think it's actually? I think it's funny when people hit their head against uh, walls to the sound of uh, shopping music. I think that's that's some good time funny. Matthew, you took a look at this promo that Zach is giggling on about. <laughs> I did. What'd you think of it? Um, I I think that it reminds me of nothing so much as all the promos for regular show, oh. which I, I think is a show that has kind of a, based on what I've seen, meaning that I've only seen the promos of either, uh, kind of a similar vibe and maybe some similar sort of, Wah! oh well, no, a regular- bear is driving! Regular show, uh, Adventure Time, mm-hmm. super, Adventure super time. popular. Zach Very watches Adventure popular. Time all the time. No, I know. I just know that's what they say. <laughs> the midget has started watching uh, regular show and quoting it, but misquoting it. So she'll say, can you do me a solid? And I'm like, do you know what that means? She's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rodrigo, a lot of people are upset about this. And I think just to provide some historical context mm-hmm. in this conversation, Way, 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 way long time ago, seven years, eight years ago, Cartoon Network had a great show on called Teen Titans and it had a great song from, uh, was it Yami Yamagumi? Yumi, Yumi, Yumi. Yeah, Jaime Yumi. And, you know, the T-E-E-N-T-I-T-A-N-S, Teen Titans, let's go. And it was a great show. A lot of people were super excited about it. A lot of people love that show. And then Cartoon Network said, eh, we're going to cancel it, but we're going to put in this uh, Batman show and we're going to put in some of these other shows. And people kind of forgot about Teen Titans, still wanting it to come back. Uh, they came up with this Young Justice series, which at the first a lot of people weren't too sure about. And then they got on board with that. Mm-hmm. And now DC and Cartoon Network says, no, we're canceling uh, Young Justice and we're bringing back Teen Titans Go. And a lot of people suddenly got excited because they're like, oh, my gosh, you are bringing back. The stuff that we wanted. We've been asking you for years to bring back the Teen Titans, this animated series. And then people got to look at these interstitials that uh, was that were running during the um, DC Nation block. And it's chibi Teen Titans. And it's yeah. silly goofiness. And it's not the Teen Titans that we remember from that cartoon show. And I think a lot of people are just upset that they're going with that as the show as opposed to bringing back the old series. I see. <laughs> you know, uh, personally, I never terribly cared for the original Teen Titans cartoon. Why not? Um, honestly, because it was already too chibi for me, mm. even even in that version. Um, I was annoyed by the fact that it was... Like it's, I feel that it's one thing if you are influenced by, you know, animation or styles from somewhere else, and it's another thing if you are trying to like clinically like reproduce it in a right. lab, right? And that's a lot of the time what Teen Titans felt like to me. Like 
this is the point in a Japanese cartoon where a character's head gets really big and they wave little tiny arms around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happens, you know, but it kind of didn't have the same flow, but it still needed to maintain the flow and the structure of an American cartoon. Otherwise, people would freak out. So I would watch this and be like, I don't know. It was like somebody offering me a plate of chicken and then like pouring chocolate sauce all over it. You know, it's like, well, you like chicken and you like chocolate. So why don't you like this? And that's chicken why. mole is really good. Uh, yes, but you have to add 17 to 30 other ingredients to that before it's good. So, so yes. uh, you know, one of the uh, reasons in the, oh, end, uh, the original Teen Titans was trying to make mole with only two ingredients. And what do you if think you, of, if you want to see it that way? And what do you think of Teen Titans Go? This promo no, that you've seen from from what I saw, it looks cute and it looks funny. But again, I'm not terribly interested in it. Um, I stopped watching Young Justice because it started annoying me. Either even though the um, art style was very cool and the action was very cool and the character design was awesome, um, it just kind of didn't do it for me. So, I mean, I, I I'm kind of just generally lukewarm on the DC animation stuff. I never got a chance to watch the Green Lantern show, um, which I always kind of wanted to, but I've just I, I guess I never put it into my schedule to go track it down. Right. It's not on Netflix. Um, I don't know if it's on Hulu, but again, the, the, the sources that I use to get my entertainment, it was not available there. Right, right, right. So, um, and I hear that's being canceled as well. Yeah, it's being yeah. canceled as well. And as well, and, and you know, just kind of a throw a, another twist into it. Not only are they canceling Young Justice, Green Lantern, the animated series, they're also canceling uh, Clone Wars, the animated or the right. uh, Star Wars, mm-hmm. the Clone Wars. Uh, they're not renewing that with the Cartoon Network. Now, that's a different company. That's not Warner Brothers. That's Disney making that call. But apparently they have a bunch of stuff in done for a sixth season, uh, but they're not putting it out on uh, Disney XD, which is what a lot of people thought. So I'm wondering. Disney Vault. I don't know if it'll go to the vault or if it'll be a direct to DVD or if they'll <laughs> release it in some other other fashion. But it seems kind of uh, for cartoon fans who are fans of this kind of stuff, Cartoon Network yanking, you know, three big comic book uh, pop culture properties like that mm-hmm. or in yeah. conjunction with their parent companies uh, seems like a real low for for fans. Well, it depends on what you're fans of. I mean, yeah. Or what the audience are going for, because I think if I set my brother down in front of this Teen Titans Go thing, I think he'll find it pretty funny. So let me ask you this. I'll bet you the midget will love it. Let me ask you this for both of you guys. Is your brother or your midget, I mean your widget, going to, um, are they going to go buy the toys after they watch this? Are they going to go buy Um, the action figures? Well, it's hard to when you live in the desolate town of where my brother lives. Are you going to go try and pick up the comic books of uh, Teen Titans Go? Uh, well, maybe? she has no. already been interested in the comic books of My Little Pony and Adventure Time and that other one. Um, what's the one with the thing? I believe it's actually called That Other One. That's Is what it? they're titling. The show. other show. Oh, yeah, yeah. The other and show. And Popeye. And Popeye, too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's not as though it's unheard of. Right. I would say probably, yeah. Okay. So, 50%. Let's hope that there's enough people interested in doing that because that's one of the things that are that really kind of has an ultimate say on whether these mm-hmm. shows go is the merchandising resale. And we already saw with uh, symbionic Titan that that show got canceled because they couldn't do merchandise. I don't remember. I guess I've seen a few toys based on the green lantern animated series, 
but not very many. No, they have a comic book too, don't they? they Do they? Okay, yeah. I have yeah. never. I've I not read that. Sells. Um, I well, know yeah, the Star I'll Wars stuff this, was selling The only well. thing that I know about it is that when we were returning DC books a couple of months ago, we still had some of them on the stands. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess we'll see. Teen Titans Go doesn't say when. It looks like it's going to premiere uh, Tuesday, April twenty third at seven thirty p.m. and will run during the DC Nation block on Saturdays at ten thirty. I think. I think one other thing that we have to think about here is that this is a weird cross section. Of well, not a terribly weird cross section. Well, okay, never mind. This is a cross section of people that might not be used to this. Um, right. These are comic book fans coming to watch these cartoons, and now these cartoons are being canceled, and they're really upset about that. And they're to a certain degree trying to do the same thing that they do with comics, which is to make a lot of noise until the you know publisher comes back and says, okay, we'll throw you a bone, the fans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. But cartoons get canceled all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't yeah. come back at all. Like, you know, because the production uh, costs to create a, you know, 22-episode TV show, especially an animated TV mm-hmm. show, are approximately the price of 10,000 comic books. Yeah, you know, I, I've said it before that uh, we're going to see major motion pictures. We're going to see TV shows being funded through Kickstarter. We've already seen it happen this past week with uh, oh, Veronica great. Mars. They got a lot of money oh. fast. Yeah, they got it within two, 24 hours. Two million a day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if people really want to, and if, and I still think, I mean, Veronica Mars was being done by the producer, the executive producer of that mm-hmm. series, not by the uh, any kind of a parent company. But I bet if Warner Brothers plunked down and said, okay, you guys want to see more Green Lantern in the animated series? Here's how much money we have to raise to keep up that quality of work. And then I think you're going to see Rodrigo people putting their money where, you know, mm-hmm. where their mouth is. And right. um, if it doesn't get funded, Warner Brothers has a justification for saying, yeah, see, you guys, you're not interested enough in funding, that, you know, fronting this amount of money. Yeah. And that is nice to a certain degree. I mean, because that does put a certain amount of control on those people. You can right. always... Mm-hmm. You know, you as a consumer, when you're watching television, rely on advertisers to pay for the stuff that you're doing. If the studios put it directly in the hands of the people, then, or maybe more exactly in the wallets of the people, then um, things are more likely to at least reflect, uh, in truth, the the fervor of the audience, if you will. Right. But doesn't it also feed into that expectation that everything has to be a known property or a remake or a reboot or something with the same name so that we can attract those people who loved Veronica Mars or who loved dark shadows or who loved these things? Because I don't know that we're going to get the same response. If, if Rodrigo and I show up on Kickstarter saying we want to do this awesome new show and it's about this band of adventurers, and they run around. You, and them talk Matthew, like there ish. are people all the time that are doing that. Yeah, I mean, you right. know, that's what that's what Kickstarter is. It's not known properties coming forward and saying, "Hey, we uh, have a known property that we want to produce." These are unknowns coming forward and saying, "Hey, there's a documentary I want to do. Here's a sample. Here's what we're working on. Here's the goon." You know, you know what? A though? lot of them. A lot. And and an unknown property on Kickstarter is not going to explode overnight the way that Veronica Mars does, for no, example. No, no, no. Um, also, 
I don't think anybody has stopped pitching ideas to Cartoon Network. Right. So if we have an idea for a show about a band of adventurers who are also, I don't know, they all drive around in a food truck in space. Um, copyright major spoilers, 2013. <laughs> um, we could go to Cartoon Network, shop it around to actual movie, like actual TV studios and do that. So to a certain degree, you know, the avenue of Kickstarter exists, but there's no reason why a creator or a creative team has to see it as the only option. Right. Now, you know, TV used to be the only game in town, and then cable kind of took over that. Now the internet opens that up. And I mean, you don't even actually have to go through Kickstarter. If you get, you know, your own individual advertisers, you know, YouTube will give YouTube you money big. to do things. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you can show them that you can do things. Right. Uh, Matthew, you're asking um, about unknown properties. Here's a uh, comic book uh, property, a graphic novel biography of Nikola Tesla, still 11 days to go, has been funded 518% of their initial target. They wanted $7,400. They got $38,000. Right. And, and I'm familiar with how that works. What I'm saying is not that Kickstarter doesn't work if it's not a known property. What I'm saying is if we apply that Kickstarter mentality with this, oh, my God, look what we got for Veronica Mars. I think that it's just going to continue feeding the beast that says you can't make something new and different. Uh, well, Instead, I can we I can see where you're coming from. Known properties, we have to make we have to make a Veronica Mars movie, or we have to revamp Austin Powers for a new millennium. I can see it being that way, but there's a lot of other. I mean, I can see that mentality eventually forming, but that would be a long, long, long way off. The thing is, though, that mentality already exists. Right. I mean, we are, you know, in movies. What are the big movies? You know, they're usually oh, based they're talking on about stuff making another. Uh, tried it. They're they're looking at remaking uh, Escape from New York. There well, was some some year a Star Wars movie with a seventy year old Han Solo. Yeah, <laughs> they, there was something. There was some year in this past uh, decade where, like, literally every major motion oh, picture yeah. was mm-hmm. a sequel. Right. Yeah. There was. There might have been like one that wasn't part of so that. So we're already in that vein. Right. At least maybe this way um, you can potentially get properties instead of just taking this huge gamble on whether people want to see a revamp of Escape to New York or Escape from New York. um, You can actually say, hey, the people who wants to see a revamp of Escape from New York. And then when everybody says, eh, I'm good with Escape from L.A., which basically was Escape from New York again. You know, then that's that. One of the nice things um, that people have done with Kickstarter that I like is the goon. Um, A lot of people were really excited about seeing that. But all of the studios are like, "Eh, we don't know if this is, you know, we're, Mm -hmm. as you said, Rodrigo, we're very, and Matthew, we want to live in this world of doing things that we feel are safe and that we know about. So they went to Kickstarter to pitch this. What is it? A 22 second sizzle reel, essentially, yeah, of the goon. And it's gotten funded. And now they can take that around to the studios and say, look at what kind of return we've gotten just on this. Here's the mm-hmm. sizzle reel. Here's all the talent uh, tied in with it. You'd be silly to pass this up. So that kind of helps with some of the new properties. So and that's, and that's a good thing about this very exciting time that we live in. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. On, on the Internet that it doesn't even have to be all one thing. You can go to Kickstarter to then 
get the the means to petition movie studios. Right. Yeah, that's that's know, really good. Cool. Or build a grassroots movement on YouTube before going to Kickstarter, before yeah. going mm-hmm. to the movie studios. Or if you have a strong enough property, skip the studios altogether. Or you can start uh, a podcast, get people to fund that, and then expand that into multiple uh, situations where you are creating content for other people. Hello, my name is Rodrigo Lopez. (laughs) (laughs) Here for Major Spoilers. Um, With our, uh, really at this point, uh, quite necessary uh, pitch for funding. We have a funding goat Um which was supposed to be a goal, but I think there was some kind of a uh, translation error, uh, which we are trying to materialize. In any case, um, we are looking for uh, recurring donations. Uh, you can make a 2 a $5, or a $10 recurring donation. You can go to Majorspoilers.com, and there will be little buttons on the right side of the website that you can click. Um, what will we do with this uh, money? Ooh, I'm glad you asked, Rodrigo. Not only will we be able to continue the Major Spoilers podcast and all the shows in the Major Spoilers podcast network and the website, we'll be able to bring back other features. And we were talking just last night, and I think we finalized yeah. at least one new show that we're going to have for our $5 and $10 subscribers. So this is for $5 and $10 subscribers. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the Zach on film commentary track edition that's going to come out where you can sit down and watch the movie and listen to us do a commentary track. That's one of the items. There's another item that we're still talking about that'll be specifically for our $10 a month subscribers. And I think, Rodrigo, do we pretty much have it nailed down? Um, I think there's still a couple of things to work out. The The basic idea is nailed down, but... We still have to look at a couple of, of issues. Uh, I, I, it's not complete is, is, is the thing. But yes, we've got um, we I just need to like write out a thing to show Steven Excellent. for him to approve and, and stuff. And Matthew, check this out. Just last what? night, we passed our 10 percent mark. Yeah, Rockola. I'm hoping and that by that, the you get seven seconds of song because that's all I can do without <laughs> being sued. Are you ready? Okay. And uh, so I'm hoping by the end of March we can hit the 25% goal. When we hit our 50% goal, uh, we'll start releasing those, um, the uh, the Zach on film commentary track. Yes, we'll start releasing the hostages. We will start releasing your mothers and children. I didn't mean to turn this into a a pitch, but now that it kind of transitioned into how do we fund things, crowdfunding is what we're talking about. Uh, There's a lot more details over at Majorspoilers.com. If you want to read about the Clone Wars coming to an end, if you want to read Lucasfilm's official uh, statement, you can read that at Majorspoilers. Or if you just want to check out this Teen Titan Go uh, trailer that Zach posted earlier this this week, you can head, head over to Majorspoilers and find it all there. Let us do some reviews. Do, 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 you know, do, something do, 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 else, something else that you can also find a lot over at Major Spoilers. Reviews. Mm, Try to do a new review every single day of the week. A lot of good original content every single day of the week. People have been asking. Also, I write. People have been asking, Zach. <laughs> yes. Why don't you guys make some recommendations for comic books we should be picking up? That's interesting. Why don't we do that, Stephen? Well, we have oh. for a long time. It's called the Major Spoilers Staff Picks. Every Tuesday morning. Uh, we or post if you're those me every other Tuesday morning. <laughs> we post those and share those, and you can read what uh, many of the writers over at Major Spoilers are picking up this week. This week's pick of the week, Constantine number one yeah. from uh, DC Comics. And by the way, Matthew and I will be reviewing Constantine number one 
tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. But we'll be reviewing that on the next Dueling Review, so go check that out. So let's get to some reviews. Matthew Rachel Rising, number 15. This is from Abstract Studios, and that's a Terry Moore imprint, I believe. It is. And I'm a little confused by it because, well, and this is something that is very difficult for me. I read Strangers in Paradise forever, literally forever. I mean, 60 issues of the book came out over the course of about 16 years. And it was a very personal, very specific kind of thing. It was a book where the characters had very specific voices and the art was really, really, what's the word I'm looking for? Special? Um, Nice? uh, Individualistic. And the characters didn't look like any other character. And nothing that you saw in the book looked like anything else that was on the market in terms of comic books. So um, that book ended some time ago and several months ago, actually. Well, at least 15 months ago, uh, Terry started this new book, Rachel Rising. Now, here's my problem. I work in a comic shop, and I have a couple of other things that I do, and I have this kid who shows up in my house and says, I want food. So I didn't necessarily pick up the first issue of Rachel Rising, or the second, or the third. This is the very first issue that I have ever picked up. And my biggest problem is that when you read something drawn by Terry Moore, it kind of looks like it's drawn by Terry Moore. And that's that's a good thing, and that's a bad thing. There's some very familiar stuff in the very first few pages of this book. Right. Uh, we open with a character lying in a bed in a coma and a man watching her and sleeping. Uh, he is actually kind of funny, a huge bald guy with these thick glasses. The girl wakes up, and I'm struck by how much she looks like Francine from Strangers in Paradise. And then we meet Rachel, the titular Rachel. Uh, the Rachel of the title, for those of you who don't speak the Latin and or Greek and or whatever the hell that is. And Rachel, while differently sized and not the same uh, exact sort of dimensions, she is a taller character, is a slightish blonde woman who reminds me of Kachu. So I'm reading this book trying to get past my expectations of this is, you know, Kachu and this is Francine, trying to get over that while enjoying every single page. Artistically, it's really, really gorgeous. Black and white title, but amazingly cool to look at. And the use of the blacks and the use of kind of, not even gray tones, patterns even, is interesting. At one point, Rachel is running about in this sweater, and in each panel, he's gone to the point of drawing in the pattern on the sweater. It's a very intricate pattern. It's not the same every time. But you look at it, and you're like, That's really, like, cool or something. And we get to the end of the book, and there's a plague of rats coming through every entrance of the house. And I'll tell you, I have no idea what's going on in this book, but I kind of want to read the next issue anyway. More importantly, importantly, do you want to go back and read the issues prior to this? I really do, because based on what I'm seeing here, it feels like Well, first of all, the dialogue works. Even though the context isn't all there for me, there's nothing where you go, wait, what? There's nothing where you think this writing is ineffective or something bad is happening. And the opening sequence where we start with the shot of a face and then 
a man holding a hand, then his face, and then we cut back to a wide shot of the woman in the bed. Just beautiful, beautiful art, beautiful blocking all the way through this. The way the story is being told is just excellent. And the fact that I don't understand the story doesn't come across as the story isn't being told well. It comes across as I walked into the middle of a fascinating conversation, and now I really want to kind of get some context so that I can go, hey, I would like to chime into this fascinating conversation. It seems like there's some magic-y stuff going on, and I do like the magic-y stuff, especially with, you know, giant rats and like that. Um, Sight unseen, I would have said probably... I'm not necessarily interested in the Rachel Rising books, especially 15 issues in. I was afraid I wouldn't know what's going on. I was afraid that it would be something where we're already in progress and everything from this point on is just, you know, we're done here. But this book really, really upset that expectation. Three and a half slices of meatloaf for Rachel Rising number 15. I'm going to go look and see if they have a trade paperback because I know I can't get the individual back issues. Or maybe I can. I don't know. All right. I, I know the back issue guy at my comic store is what I'm saying, and I know he doesn't have any. All right. Rachel Rising, number 15 from Abstract Studios. Last week, IDW Publishing released the second issue of the Rocketeer Hollywood Horror, this one written by uh, Roger Langridge. Uh, most people saw him come on the scene, I think, with the uh, Muppets uh, uh, series when it was over at <laughs> Boom Studio. It's time to strap on rockets. It's time to fly around. Jay it's Bone doing the uh, art on this. Yeah. And this picks up uh, from the first issue where, um, you know, our, our hero, Cliff, is being chased by Monk and Ham, Doc Savage's sidekicks, although they're not spelled out that way. That goes back to uh, Cliff's uh, New York adventure that, uh, that uh, Dave uh, Stevens uh, put together way back in the day. And... He's constantly being pursued at the same time. Scientists are disappearing uh, and a strange cult like guy is starting to gain gain some notoriety in and around uh, the Hollywood region. In fact, he has a very uh, big presentation over at uh, Griffith Observatory and uh, some very Cthulhu-esque type things appearing throughout the issue. So for me, you got the Rocketeer, you got 1930s, uh, early 40s. uh, adventure stories. Oh, you're right there. Stevens. Throw in some Cthulhu, and this should be a big slam dunk type tale. And it is. Oh, you know who else appears in here? This is what I really like about the first issue and the second issue is they're throwing in all of these other pulpy type um, characters. So we had Monk and Ham who aren't named and who aren't said Doc Savage, but we also get the Thin Man characters. Uh, mm-hmm. appearing in this book as well. And I thought that was fantastic how they do it. And they're doing it in a way where language doesn't have to come out and say, here's who these people are. But if you follow the clues visually, you can say, oh, that's who that is. And it works superbly well in uh, this book. Um, and, this, and the story, I, don't, I really don't have a problem with the story. I guess my main hangup is it's a different art style than what we've seen it's not the Chris Samney art that we saw in the last Rocketeer story. It's certainly not Dave Stevens' uh, art. It is a different work. It's a different style, and it does take a little getting used to, but um, J. Bone's style does lend itself to making sure that Betty uh, looks very Betty-ish and uh, that uh, the Rocketeer does look stunning and that Monk and Ham and Peavy all look uh, recognizable, and so it does a good job. It, I, I do think, though, that the cartoony style... 
uh, kind of detracts a little bit from the, the big story being told, but still a very, very, very good book. Rocketeer Hollywood Horror, way to go IDW for uh, not uh, uh, throwing this uh, series and this uh, creation down the toilet and serving up another issue that has uh, done a great job. I'm giving this one four slices of meatloaf out of five. The Rocketeer Hollywood Horror number two out last week from IDW Publishing. A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, Zach, what do you got for us this week? I am reviewing myth number one from Alterna. Comics. Uh oh, we're walking into dangerous territory here. Are we? We are. Oh no. Um. So, myth number one is <laughs> about a, a a a young boy who is sent, or he lives in a home, uh, presumably for orphans, and he is not treated very well. We open up the story, and he is uh, being brought back to the home because he just ran away and was caught by the people who work there and he gets thrown into a dungeon and he is shackled. So, uh, not, not the best place for children by any means. And he runs off into a magical forest or yeah, I would definitely say magical. There's a giant tree and that moves and has tentacle. Are you sure it's not the wind? Oh no, no, no. Cause then he fights a giant. Oh, and the boy and the giant become friends and the boy shares his comics with this giant, and they, uh, he shows him the house he came from, and the bad people are there. And it's not like the comics, because there are no good people to come save the children from the horrors and such. But then they make costumes, and they go, and they kick the crap out of the two big bad guys. Mm-hmm. And the boy shoots his, the young, uh, not the young, the old grizzly lady with a big nose right in the forehead with his slingshot, and... All is well towards the end, and then there's like a little cliffhanger of some giant like metal robots and a talking owl. Uh, interesting ending, but uh, it was just this this book. It reminded me I was not on the podcast at this time, but uh, I killed giants. Oh yeah, you guys yeah, yeah. talk about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then and in, in, in the end isn't like it's all her. In her head or something, if I remember you guys talking about it. It's some, questionable. Some, yeah, questionable. it's questionable. Right. When I was reading this, it kind of had that same feeling of, this might be all in his uh, head of him imagining his giant friend, because the giant never talks. And uh, again, there's a giant tree with tentacles that fight and a talking owl. So it has a, has a, a feeling that this could all be imaginary, but right now... It seems like this is this is reality, and it was it was a, it was a nice story of a boy and his friend. The Aww. art style is it's all black and white. It's right? It's all black and white, and is is wonderful. The use of negative space throughout the issue to convey the the, the, loom, the looming scariness of the forest, and just the detail in general was is wonderful to look at. Uh, consistent throughout, really. Just a really solid issue. Yeah, I enjoyed I, it a lot. As you're talking about it, and I'm flipping through here, and it does look really fantastic yeah, from really from the art goes. And it's, I mean, if you're going black and white, I mean, you're right. They really handled all of the all of the space correctly mm-hmm. without muddying it with yeah. a bunch of extra stuff. Yeah, who's the art? I check again because it's really good art, and not art that I generally expect for some time of the smaller publishers. Not that they have mm-hmm. bad art, but sometimes it's 
sketchy, but this is really good. It's by Dan, Dan Lauer. Lauer. Mm-hmm. Really good art. Really good art. Solid issue. And um, I follow the creative team on Twitter. And if you buy Myth through Comixology, all of the proceeds are going to... Hold on, let me get this right. Childhelp.org, which is um, an organization that helps prevention and treatment of child abuse. Oh, very so, cool. Good uh, cause to go out and buy some comics and read a good comic. This is a this is a this is a four and a half slice of meatloaf comic. Nice, here, folks. Buck ninety nine. Buck ninety nine digitally, so it's not like a three ninety nine five dollar mm-hmm. book or anything like that. Very nice. All right, Rodrigo, wrap us up. Please tell us that we've got a Marvel or DC title here because I don't want people rioting and saying, you guys never review Marvel or DC books. We have a Marvel or DC book. <laughs> but that's a lie because this is not, not a No! Um, although I am oh, wait, sure... there's a delay. I was knowing Marvel. Uh, I'm sure that the, uh, the title is probably an anagram for... Luke Cage and pasta. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Uh, okay, so I'm looking at uh, the Bionic Man Annual Number One by a company, Dynamite Entertainment. By Dynamite, who's Dynamite? Dynamite. Dynamite. Yes. I read this. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that part. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, the Bionic Man is um, Steve Austin. Astronaut. Yes. A man s- barely alive. Exactly. The, the $6 million man, as he is often known, uh, I'm going to guess, has uh, been transmogrified title-wise into the Bionic Man because $6 million probably doesn't buy you a bionic leg anymore, uh, much less a whole man. Um, uh, is now correct me if I'm wrong. There is an ongoing series. Yeah, this right? is the on. This, this is, is the ongoing. It's right. it's also written so, by Scott Beatty. And and this is what this is what is great about this issue. It's an annual. It's a standalone issue of an ongoing series. And I get personally, I'm familiar with uh with the Six Million Dollar Man. Um, so I don't know if somebody who had never at all read or seen the show would be totally confused, but I wasn't, you know, I came right in and they were like, Oh, space probe has landed and it's dangerous and stuff. And I was like, all right. Um, I was, uh, looking for little sound effects, but, um, I didn't see them. Is it a Venus probe? It's a Venus probe. Rock the Venus probe. I love the Venus probe. It's a Venus death probe. So I had a toy uh, Venus death probe when I was seven. The the Chinese launch a probe and it lands in Alaska and it's supposed to go to Venus, but lands in Alaska. And of course, there's a lot of, you know, you get to see the like big shadowy table of important American uh, heads going like, well, you know, were they really did they really mean to do this or did they mean to shoot it into Alaska to spy on us? And to test our stuff out, because this thing's like super dangerous, you guys. It's like, I know, we'll throw the bionic man at it. And he jumps out of an airplane. He's like, yeah. So he fights it. And then we find out that there's like, guys, a whole, like more than one, like several bionic Chinese projects. Mm-hmm. 
that combine humans and or robots with other robots. So, yeah, that happened. Yeah, so the um, just out of just for context, Rodrigo, since you haven't read this series, there actually are a bunch of other countries and companies working on Bionic Man Cyborg projects. So it's mm-hmm. for this series that is not totally unknown or but unfamiliar we, territory. But and I'm getting this from context, we didn't know what the the extent of the Chinese project true was. And not only do they have a complete uh, Bionic Man comparable with powers comparable to Steve Austin. Um, they also had like the, the program has evolved beyond that. And that's kind of what the issue was here. Um, that it had potentially evolved beyond their control, beyond the government's control. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it was all pretty interesting. The art was decent. There are cool little things about it. Like, <laughs> one like something punches the bionic man into a frozen lake and they're like oh no can he survive it and then a scientist is like well of course he can you know cybernetics function better in the cold and then he like pops out and he's like ah punch it's great uh so i'm gonna give this one four slices of meatloaf i i was surprised at how much i enjoyed this um you know the bionic man and the bionic uh, peoples in general um, are, I think, a difficult property. They're a property that is tied to a very particular moment in television history. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the fact that they're actually making it work in modern comics, so a different medium, a different era, um, it is actually really cool because I always enjoyed it when I watched it. So oh, yeah. it's nice to see that, you know, however many years later, when I'm encountering this property again, um, it is enjoyable to my current brain. And if people uh, have watched the original series and they now know why Matthew is so excited because of uh, the episode uh, called uh, Death Probe. Uh, that, uh, so it's nice that they're taking some yeah. of those uh, plots There's and stories and, and a later episode them. where the Death Probe comes back and Steve Austin has to get hip from Bigfoot, who, by the way, is also bionic. To help take out the death probe the second time. All right. So books this week from uh, IDW Publishing, Dynamite Entertainment, Abstract Studios, and Alterna Comics. It's great to go out there and experience some of the uh, offerings from other companies. And listeners, again, if you want to read some more reviews, Majorspoilers.com is where you want to go. And you can even read the uh, Batman and Robin number 18, which uh, is the follow-up to uh, what happened to the death of Robin. Robin! Which brings us to... It's time. There you go. For the millions in attendance, and even a stopped clock is right twice a day. It's time. (laughs) For that truck to drive by and us to think about... (laughs) Think about death. Death, 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 and death. Lots of things uh, happening when we talk about death. With the devil, that's death, death, hell, Armageddon, death. It it seems like, it seems like, this is just my take on it, Mm -hmm. that death has become somewhat of a revolving door, almost meaningless in today's comic book world. And so the question this week is, should death in comics be permanent? Zach, yes, or no? 
Um, I would uh, say yes, just for the fact that then there is a sense that the drama is real and not a manufactured plot that is designed to sell a, a piss ton of issues and subsequent even word subsequent or it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, good one zach Burn. oh nice um and then i just think it would it would hang, think it have hold more weight knowing this person is not coming back because right. I mean, death in the real world is is heavy because this person is not coming back. Right, but right, right. In a fictional world where someone dies and you know in a year and a half, I'm going to get to read this character again. Mm-hmm. There, it's n- not as heavy. Matthew, what about you? Well, this is a difficult question. Partly the way it's phrased um, throws some difficulty onto it for me. But also... I've always believed that comic books work best when there is an element. And even if it's not a superhero story, and honestly, any type of storytelling, when there are rules, but the rules aren't necessarily arbitrary. Given the number of times that characters have died and been resurrected, you know, starting from the first character to be murdered in comic books in July of 1941, less than three years into the existence of comic books – Some of them have been silly. Some of them have been ridiculous. But there have been a few really great stories about characters dealing with death, coming back from the dead, or even flat out being resurrected. I mean, the the Phoenix story in X-Men would not be possible if we said there are no deaths in comics. Now, do I believe that Jason Todd coming back from the dead was a good idea? No. Do I believe that it was handled well? No. Do I believe that Barry Allen should be Flash again at this point in time? No. Barry Allen's death should have been permanent. But to say that death in comics should be permanent is to arbitrarily cut off part of the storytelling engine of comics. And I feel like if you're going to put a governor like that on the story, it's just as bad as coming in and arbitrarily saying that no death is going to stick. I mean, coming back from the dead in superhero comics has become a cliche, but just because something is a cliche doesn't mean that it's not something that can be used for an effective story. And I feel like I had to say no, comics, death in comics should not always be permanent because it's part of what comics are and what they've become over the last 80 years. And being able to have somebody deal with that death and that comic book storytelling even if Superman came back, that doesn't change the fact, well, his death was stupid. But there are there are good deaths out there that were handled well, and there are resurrections that were handled well. And to say that you can't do a resurrection, Marvel did that for about five years around the turn of the century. But the, the at the point where Joss Whedon came in and said, I have a great story and a clever way to bring back Colossus, Joe Quesada said, you know what, we're, we're going to let you do this. Because that story worked, and it was well told. Rodrigo, what about you? Um, well, I think uh, the the issue here is kind of tied to what is what what is really at the core of this question. I think this question is really asking, 
should death be permanent in superhero comics put out by Marvel Comics and DC Comics, right? Because should death be permanent in a comic that is put out, that, that is about, like, should death be permanent in a Highlander comic? Right. Probably not. Well, but that's not how that world works, though. Exactly. Precisely. And that's the that's the issue there is that in the weird, like, not like, you know, can't think more than two seconds ahead, story wise, revolving writer, messed up editorial decree world of DC and Marvel having permanent deaths is in a way just another stipulation, just like saying oh, we really want to push Luke Cage, so make sure that he's in every comic. Or, oh, Spider-Man's got a movie coming out, make sure his wife disappears. You know, right, right. things like that. So, should death be permanent in comics? I think that if... I, I think the real question is, should writing be better in superhero <laughs> comics? Yeah. And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, it um, should. Should death be permanent in comics? I'm going to say yes, because I think that is part of that medicine that superhero comics need. They need, you know, superhero comics for the big two need to be sat down and said, okay, guys, let's tell stories. If somebody dies, they're dead because death has to have meaning. Otherwise, nobody actually cares about what's happening and all you're selling are covers. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's my vote was for yes, it should be permanent because I think that's part and again, assuming that we are just constraining it to superhero comics by the big two, yes, you guys need to take it to take it down a notch and Step keep people dead, and also kill people less often because of that same reason. Right. Okay. So I also voted uh, yes for death in comics should be permanent because again, it it doesn't allow death to be a crutch, right? And it forces the writer to ensure that if they're killing that character that they and the company really knows what it means to kill a character. Can there be resurrections in death? Well, during the Silver Age, certainly we saw a number of times where Lois Lane knew for sure that Superman was Clark Kent, but it turned out to be Bruce Wayne. Oh, Lois, you silly girl, you know, that kind of stuff. But they were playing the switcheroo. I think in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, where Bruce Wayne dies and comes back, that was a drug enhancement. That was not a, re- I mean, it wasn't a death death. It was planned from uh, Bruce Wayne to do that from the beginning um, when he went to go fight Superman. To have Oliver Queen say, you know what, I need to, you know, in order for me to save all these people or whatever, I've got to blow up in this plane. If he's going to die, he needs to die. Just like Matthew said, Barry Allen should never have come back. He should have been dead. Um the the problem that I have, and, and you know, if if you do come up with, and, and there's always a loophole around this beyond the, the gimmick, I planned this, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's always an easy out, just like right. in the soap operas that Matthew compares comic books to all the time. Um, the easy out is, and this is a bad thing to say, but Legends of the Dark Knight. You know, if you kill uh. Batman, and you want to tell a Batman story, well, here's a story, here's an, a series that we have that tells stories that are not in current continuity, stuff that happened in between all those story arcs. If you want mm-hmm. to tell a Luke Cage story, here's a four issue arc that took place between 1970, you know, the October of 1977 and December of, of 1977. And there's where you can tell your story. So there could be those kinds of things that could work around it. But 
you know, when you kill a character and it's, as, as Zach said, there to build up, uh, sales. And then the very next issue, you have Peter Parker returning as a ghost kind of nullifies any kind of excitement. And it means that no matter what, your characters are never going to come to harm because even if they do, they're miraculously going to be resurrected and, and carry on. So I, I do believe that death should be treated a little bit more seriously. And if they're going to kill a character, I think that character should remain dead. Uh, Sherlock Holmes did remain dead. Well, yes. Doc Sherlock Savage. Holmes is a great example of the mm-hmm. author being like, yep, but now the character's dead. And then Everybody all of a sudden the like, fans are like, no. no. Yeah. Ba- basically says, Coos, uh, uh, basically death doesn't mean an S word, so I can, can't understand why everybody was so angry about spoilers regarding Damien's death. Um, Alan says, you didn't have my exact answer, but I picked the closest. I think death should be permanent most of the time with a resurrection being a gigantic deal in the comic. Okay, that's, that's valid. Um, uh, Pontus says, I voted no because I think death should not be permanent in all comics. For some universes, I think that being raised from the dead, as it were, not only is okay, but it can enhance the story, not to mention that entire genres in some fantastic stories would suddenly be uh, invalidated. I do, however, think that in mainstream comics, death is taken too lightly, and it, and it seems that, at worst, characters come back as they were, but with a slight chip on their shoulder, so they can be marketed as a bit edgier. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's always uh, the, you know, the classic... Uh, uh, Greek myths where they go to the underworld to save somebody. Um, They did that with the the, uh, Justice League International, where they went down to to resurrect uh, Ice. Ice, yeah. Yeah, If you look at something like Dragon Ball Z, where after the first couple times somebody dies, there is like a, a system for getting people back from the dead. And then that becomes part of the world. It's like nobody stays dead in that universe um, as long as they can go for a, you know, 60 day jog or somebody gathers a bunch of magical spheres to bring them back. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Omaha says a permanent death in comics, if done right, can impact the overall flavor of the universe. The death of Bucky meant that there were no teen sidekicks in the Marvel Universe for decades. The deaths of Thomas and Martha Wayne and Uncle Ben were formative incidents for Batman and Spidey. The death of Gwen Stacy ushered in an entire age of of comics. The revolving door that has become death in comics has certainly helped to push the medium into the realm of soap operas on paper. Peter Parker's death lasted less than an issue. Damien's death might as well come with a Lazarus Pit countdown timer. I say if death is to have some meaning and impact, make them permanent. Matthew, how did the rest of the major spoilers nation vote? Have we even seen a Lazarus pit in the new 52? We have not. But then again, where is that line blurred? I, I think it, the problem is Batman Inc. or Batmanic um, is um, it, it still crosses between both worlds as far as where the story began and where it ended. So in Batmanic in the in the old 52, yeah, there were Lazarus pits. But we also haven't seen Rachel Ghoul in the new 52. So who knows? Yeah. Interesting. 73% of the votes, 543. There's a lot more votes this week. Well, because it went to two weeks. It was up for two weeks. Shh, stop killing the jokes. They're young. 27% saying no. 73% saying yes, death in comics should be permanent. Had you phrased this question differently, I would probably have gone with yes. But, you know, again, saying that something should be permanent means that, you know, they never, ever, ever well, get to bring it back. 
Well, that's something that you have to deal with, right? I don't think so. Not in storytelling. Part of the reason of storytelling is to get around that. I mean, that's why we have the myths and legends that we do is to Mm -hmm. try and, you know, whistle in the dark and avoid Mm -hmm. the horrible fate that awaits us all. Yeah. There's a reason why resurrection is such a widely used trope. It's because it's pretty much wish fulfillment for anybody who's lost anybody or knows people who've lost. Sure. So saying that you can't ever use that, I'm not sure I'm on board. I can see your, your point of view. All right, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can cast your vote. You can read all of the comments, and there are a lot uh, this time. Love comments. And some of them are very long and very well thought out, and some of them are very short yes or no's. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com and uh, and check those out. We're going to take a quick break. Oh, we've got someone who uh, wants to weigh in on the death poll. And then we have uh, a review of the uh, movie Oz from last week from our good friend Cat Halo. And a little bit more. Stick around. Hello, this is Les calling from the far side of the world. Hey, do death and comics have to be permanent? No, I don't think so. I used to be a real continuity-loving guy, and I follow Southern series religiously. But then a wise man named Matthew Peterson told me that a story can still be a good story without you having to know the beginning, the middle, and the end. And you don't have to know all that happens in the series to enjoy a part of it. So now I just read good books, F and Continuity. Thank you, Major Spoilers, for that. Whether the way the big two are treating the death of comic book characters these days are the best way to do it, well, that's another story altogether. Thank you for making our Major Spoilers every week, and I hope you reach your founding goat. Thank you. Greetings and salutations, Major Spoilers. Just me, Cat Halo, back again with a few thoughts and a few yokes. Firstly, Oz, the great and powerful. Has to be said, it's neither really great or powerful, but it is pretty darn good. It'll never be remembered as a classic, but it's good fun. Franco is Franco again, but in this it works. In fact, all the performances are a little hammy, but they all fit the tone very well. It looks pretty. It's wonderful, with lots of trademark Raimi-ness, which I love. I've always been a fan of Sam Raimi's movies. And there's a lot of very good 3DE bids, too. In short, I like it. It's a damn sight better than Alice in Wonderland, and it's worth going to see. On the comics front, I finally got to finish Grant Morrison's Happy, which I also really liked. It was essentially James Stewart's Harvey through Morrison's bizarre prism, you know? It was funny, somewhat touching, and all in all, an enjoyable read. Um... I was reading the new JLA the other day, which got me wondering. Um, Well, firstly, I thought the JLA was sort of all right, not great, but, you know, okay. But it got me wondering, as I said, how long in advance are comics and comic stories planned? In the center pullout of the DC Free Comic Book Day book last year, Vibe is present in the Trinity War tease. And I was wondering, had they worked out the JLA thing that far back, or, you know, what the story is? And, um... Well, that's about it, really. I'll leave it there. Um, my Oz review is up on Majorspoilers.com, so you can check it out and leave comments if you agree or disagree with my take on it. Um, check out my Facebook page, Cat Halo Movies, if you're interested. Also, you know, you can follow me on the Twitter, at Cat Halo Movies, and that'll do. Thanks, guys. Have a fantastic week. Hello, Major Spoilers. It's Russ Cat from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, Colin. And I have a question for you guys. Um, it appears that the Before Watchmen series is drawing to a close. And I was wondering if you guys could take a moment and look back uh, about six months ago when this started and give me your opinion as to whether 
these miniseries were actually good? Um, or were they even necessary? Um, I didn't read them at all. I wanted to see what they became once they concluded and then pick up the trades or not. And so I was wondering if they, if any of these series are actually a good buy. Um, love to hear your opinions on that. Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone who called in and contributed and people who post and share their comments online and even for people who send us emails to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Each and every one of you is appreciated and we listen to them all and we read them all, even though we may not uh, read them all on the show. Question, Matthew, uh, yes. came in that last bit about Watchmen. I think you're the only one, to my knowledge, because I certainly haven't read any of the before Watchmen stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, overall... Uh-huh. Was the is the Watchmen miniseries event? Was it actually worth it? Was it good? Was it a good idea? Should he be picking this up in uh, paperback form? Well, here's the problem that you have: is you're dealing with nine different series. So you know, I can say that I enjoyed Silk Spectre. I really enjoyed parts of Minutemen. The comedian was something, and Rorschach existed, and there was apparently a Moloch series in there as well. So saying, is the entire Before Watchmen good, is like saying, uh, you know, is the entirety of that taco not going to be poisonous? And the answer is usually, boy, I hope so. I would say it's worth checking out, but it's kind of worth checking out for me more as a curiosity. So would you say borrow this from the library if the library gets it? Ask yes, the library to buy it and then definitely pick up. Check the, it out, read it. You know, get, get a get a chance to read it without actually shelling out for it. And then if you love it, buy it and put it on your uh, you know your dresser next to the Watchmen trade paperback as a sequel. I don't. I still don't think that it was necessary as a storytelling device. I think that it was more necessary for the company. In terms of, you know, let's see what we can do in terms of, I don't want to say exploiting, but maybe exploring these characters while mm, sure. getting a little bit of get a little bit of money off them as well. I just, for whatever reason, had no interest. I think I picked up like the first issues of all of them, and I don't think yeah. I read any of them. I think I flipped it, through the, uh, the, uh, the Alex Ross, or not the Alex Ross, the Adam Hughes one, the, um, um, Silk Spectre. Silk Spectre. No, that one. was Amanda yeah. Connor. Oh, Amanda Connor. Okay, I, I know yeah. I flipped through that, but I just I never read it, and I just never picked up the rest. I just had no interest in it. So, well, the thing that you get into is the question of with that original twelve issue story. There's a specific voice and storytelling style, right? And you've got nine different series with nine different voices and nine different storytelling styles, and yeah, it doesn't necessarily feel like you're reading about the same characters. The Darwin Cook did the Minutemen. Yes, that was good. Up to a point, that that series had a lot going for it, but I felt like it tried too hard to match up loose ends in the original story. Mm-hmm. Loose ends that weren't even really loose ends. There were bits and th- things that, for instance, in Hollis Mason's backstory that he couldn't talk about oh, in okay. his autobiography, which right, is right. where we heard most of Hollis's voice, or right, right. wouldn't talk about or didn't. And I, I think it felt a little bit too much like somebody going in and trying to make everything tie up in a big bow. And part of the point of Watchmen for me was it felt more like life because it didn't do that. Mm, I see. All right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Matthew. And thank you, listeners, for calling in. If you want to contribute to the Major Spoilers podcast, all you need to do is contact us at the Major Spoilers hotline. Matthew, that number is 785 727 
1539, the major spoilers on Miyoshi Hotline. And listeners, if you want to get the best sound out of your MP3 player, may we suggest you check out Tweaked Audio at tweakedaudio.com. They've got some great headphones. Use them all the time. I think all of us have them still. Mine are still working. Mine went through the wash and the dryer, <laughs> and it came out just fine. They have a bunch of different styles, a bunch of different colors to choose from. And check this out. They are engineered for durability, which is probably why. They went through the washer and dryer unscathed. They've got a cool noise reduction design. They're compatible with iPods, iPhones, Android devices, all MP3 players. Retail price generally $19.95 to $34.99. But when you use the checkout code MAJOR over at tweakedaudio.com, you get 30% off the price. It's a pretty good deal from our friends at tweakedaudio.com. Okay, this week we are going back Quite a number of years. 19, what did I say, Matthew? 1991, 1991, 92, something like that. To uh, to, uh, some manga comics. People have been asking us to read some of that. And we're taking a look at Tokyo Babylon. Rodrigo, what is Tokyo Babylon about? Give us a rundown of uh, the story that we find in here. Uh, Tokyo Babylon is the story of a young man who is a basically an exorcist. Um, he goes around and um, sometimes there are mostly ghosts plaguing people or buildings or whatever, and he goes in and clears them out is, is the most basic uh, part of it. Um, a lot of the comic revolves around his relationship with his sister, and with another uh, mystic who hangs out with his sister. Um, and that develops that that develops along uh, the story first kind of in the forefront. And then as the stories get more intense and more involved, tends to take a little bit of a backseat. Um, yeah. It is set in 1991 in Tokyo. So, you know, people have beepers and stuff. Well, and yeah, this was, you know, at the height of Japan's economy. So there's a lot of wealth and excess. And, I, and the general overall feeling that I get from this book is that the creators were trying to tie in that this wealth and excess is corrupting you. And that's what opens you up for these evil spirits to possess your clothes, to possess your mind, to possess whatever uh, possession was going on in that particular installment. This is all collected. And so our occultist had to go out there and dispense them. And some of the stories are really, really good. But generally, I kind of got that as an overall theme. And then, of course, we saw what happened in, you know, mid to late 90s. All of a sudden, the Japanese economy collapsed uh, in on itself. And so this may have been one of those foreshadowing. You guys better pay attention before something bad happens to you. You're going to bring this all upon yourselves. Bad the things. So, Zach, what was your overall? I would just uh, right now, let's get an overall impression of this book. Um, a couple other things people need to be aware of. It is published with uh, English translation, mm-hmm. but it's still yeah. published in the stop. You're reading the back of this book. <laughs> Please proceed to the back and read backwards, right to left, right. top to bottom. Um, Overall, uh, it was, I would say, a positive reading experience. Um, I think it took me a while to actually get into it. I oh, I'm going to bet this is your first manga. No, I read the first couple of volumes of Battle Royale. Oh, okay. In that backwards. It. Yeah, in the backwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, not, not the 
it didn't take me a while to get into the reading of the backwards. It took me just a while to get into the story. I feel oh, like okay. to get one to get well, a, it kind of it does kind of take the story a while to get into the to, story. To get into That's the true, story, true. Yeah. And some of that was through the art of me completely confusing the main boy character and his sister for about the first volume and really having to focus on who was who and i thought both were female at one point i had that same well, problem i was a good 60 pages in before yes. i realized that subaru was not a twin sister yeah well and that's one that of the things that and that's one of the things that plays a role in this because in another part of the story that we'll talk about there is a um a secretary or a hotel check-in clerk or someone who is oh. like, oh, um, you make a great couple. Oh, is there and, a fortune teller? Oh, yeah, the fortune yeah. teller. And and then she's, yeah. the person's like, oh, you have such a husky voice for a girl. And the character's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm a boy. And then she's like, oh, you know, just very taken aback by that. And you're right. The art, because these two are twins, mm-hmm. yep. can be very difficult to keep the two apart. The only way I, I could tell a difference between them in like the first – Oh, volume, maybe the second one was the boy was wearing a crumpled hat and the girl was wearing a top hat like it was fully formed. I was like, okay, now I know who you are. Okay. (laughs) Hokuto tends to dress a lot more flashy. Yeah. And sometimes like 80s nuts where I'm just like, what, did she just walk out of an episode of (laughs) Power Rangers Samurai? What? Matthew, what did you think of this, of this series? It's hard to get into because it's kind of a supernatural series, but I I felt like there were parallels to Buffy, but some of the supernatural stuff is culturally derived to the point where I had no real conceptualization of what was going on. Right. It's always difficult to get into something because every time I see the main character is named, his his, uh, name is Subaru. Every time I see the name Subaru, I think of the uh, pickup truck that my friend drove in high school, which had the little seats in the back where we could drive around and do stupid stuff. So it was difficult for me to get past that. Subaru has a kind of a love-hate relationship with a character named Seishiro. So I'm sitting there and my mind is trying to keep Seishiro separate. And Seishiro's last name is Sazorazuka which is similar enough to Subaru that sometimes my brain is, no, 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 no. There's some difficulty getting into it from never never a quality standpoint, but just from an understanding of it, you know, remembering to start at the top of the page and read right to left yeah. was very difficult for I, me. I'll say that that was kind of a hindrance for me. Not that I haven't read a lot of these before and I get oh, into yeah. them, but I read those in the physical copies. This mm-hmm. is a um, this is a review copy that Dark Horse sent to us and right. – you have to go all the way back to the to the end of the the PDF file that they send us, and then yeah. work your way backwards. Work mm-hmm. your way back, and then on and times where there's a, uh, a splat, you know, not a, a two page uh, right element, Spread. it becomes very it yeah, becomes yeah. more difficult to read in that yeah. format. So I was kind of did you read it in like a in a scrolly? Yes. Oh, really? I have yeah. a. A thingy that you reads have the two page thingies. Thingy. Well, so I was like, fr- 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 yeah, mine was doing it. Mine was doing it in the two page thingy. Yeah, but because the pages were offset from one another, yeah, yeah, the two page spread were not on the same page with one another. That's okay, the, yeah, mine that's, yes, too. these are these are the uh, the woes of us uh, 
As, people who yes. get free review no. comments. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is what so, we complain about. So, but uh, the, as far the as the reviewing of that. A lot of the time don't have uh, page information. Right. So the pages right. will be offset. Or f- this one, for example, you know, even if you put it into a, a reader where it does automatically mangify it for you, it ne- it wouldn't necessarily because the information is not there. Right. But, right. you know, that's 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 something that I bet if even if I don't know if this is going to be available digitally. Right. Um, but, I bet they got I mean, it. I got, bet they got it figured out there. Um, yeah. And 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 uh, Dark Horse is putting this out as a right. single volume, correct? Right, right. right. Five hundred and some pages and that we're page. reading. Yeah, and, and something that physical. something that's that's unnerving to me as a longtime comic book reader. And again, this is not. This has nothing to do with the quality of the book. Uh, Japanese panel construction is such that the word balloons, because Japanese kind of reads left to right and then up and down right the word balloons are tall so mm-hmm. my brain is going why are all the word balloons sideways this does not compute <laughs> rar rar you know but aside from all of that when you get into this story you really get into kind of fascinating depths about their life and yeah. it's mm-hmm. long form storytelling with little episodes and arcs that feels you know like a buffy or a supernatural well, to and- where you have these characters in the situation and you have to – sometimes I have to go and figure it out. Some of it I, I'm like, okay, I, I know what that part means, sort of, kind of. But then you your your context is not necessarily always there at the beginning. You have to work your way through it. There's an element and it's and it's not really past lives, but we have met before kind of situations that characters right. don't remember. And as you peel right. away those layers, there are some very interesting uh, elements to that. Um, to that bit. To me, I, I love the paranormal part. I love the fact that this is a big sprawling story. The thing that bothered me the most was, and it's not the, um, it's not the fact that, um, uh, Shirasuro was, oh, Subaru, I love you, I love you, I love you, and they're both male. That wasn't the part that bothered me, mm-hmm. that he was in love with this, this other, this other guy. The thing right. that just kind of seemed creepy to me was the fact that he's 25 and he's 16. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that I just couldn't, that just kept bugging me throughout the whole space. And I realized, uh, we're looking at cultural differences. We're looking at, yeah. you know, different age appropriateness type stuff. But I was just like, oh, that's to me diving into creepy territory. That's the part that felt very Buffy to me. The 17 year old Buffy. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. 75 year old angel. Right. And you know it, when you when it comes down to it, I think that I, I, again I, I I'm not none of my business about the legalities and such, but I think right, that right, right. the expectation of a 16 year old boy, 16 year old man, whatever you want to call it, in Japan may be different culturally again to what we're expecting of a 16 year old in you know in the year 2013 in America, but. Uh, that didn't necessarily bother me, and none of neither of those bothered me so much as just the the really weird, dark, emotional, quasi sexual, magical content that would pop up, and you'd be like, "Ooh, that's disturbing and creepy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, now we're gonna have a dead baby. Oh, I give out. Rodrigo, what about you? Do you have any problems with this? I mean, what did you love this series? Hate this series? Did you have problems with it? Uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't have. The the only problem that I had with it is that it was kind of boring at the beginning. 
Um, but then at about the time you get to the party line story, it mm-hmm. all seems to yeah. really gel together. Right. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like dark and interesting. And the character development that we've seen wasn't just, hey, this is, I don't know, this is friends, except it's magic. This is actually kind of like Matthew said, this is Buffy. You know, this is, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, there Mm -hmm. are funny people saying funny things and funny things are happening. But, oh, lordy, lordy, a demon. We should all do something about this. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that uh, that was enjoyable when I realized that that's what the book was going for. Um, As far as, you know, it's interesting that what bothered me about the relationship between uh, Seishiro and Subaru is that at first it seems like a perfectly innocent homosexual relationship. Right, right. And I'm like, cool, all right, awesome. And then later on it turns out that (laughs) Seishiro has some hidden darkness hidden around and I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Like you could have just had a straight up like misguided romance here, but now he's evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Evil-ish. And, yeah, he and that's the thing is he's gonna turn out to be evilish, which, you know, again, not having read past this, I'm hoping that this is more of a um well, actually maybe in fact kind of a buffy angel type situation where he is he's the the dark half of the equation and Right. You know, they will they will work that out and it'll cause a romantic conflict between them mm-hmm. or they mm-hmm. could just continue to ignore it because. Um, and I think that, you know, due to Subaru's personality, it's difficult to tell if he is, in fact, straight and doesn't he, he doesn't really ever come out and say either way. He just always plays it off right. as kind of a joke. And, and yeah. that's and that's the thing is he could just because we've seen this character before. We've seen characters like Subaru before right. where. You know, if Seishiro was a girl and he was straight, he would react the same way of like, I don't know why this person keeps like following me around and telling me that he loves me. I just want to fight ghosts and go to school (laughs) and have my friends. But does that kind of hint towards his maturity level where he's focused on this and hasn't gotten to the point where he discovers? I think think so. And people, people within the book, and that's actually, that's what's really good about Tokyo Babylon is that you read through it and you're like man this guy and this girl look a lot alike like right. this kid really looks like a girl mm-hmm. and then in the book they reference that hey kid you look like a girl you know there's stuff where it's like boy this is like you, you know you're reading is it, like boy he's a 16 year old boy he has a really difficult supernatural job wouldn't right. his school suffer and sure enough yeah. they bring that up and that's what's cool about this book as opposed to a lot of other supernaturally infused real book real world things where you know you never see the character struggle in school or have to deal with real world relationships Mm -hmm. it's just a monster shows up he or she transforms fights the monster defeats monster status quo and in tokyo babylon you know there's a lot more discussion of how this fits often poorly into the real world. Yeah, and I do like that uh, where everything isn't cut and dried. You know, it's not simple. I, I know mm-hmm. a lot of stories that we read today in traditional mainstream comics, even though they may seem complicated and even though they may have some shocking moments, it's all very simple. Mm-hmm. But here you're yeah. allowed these characters to 
expand and grow and explore the realities of this universe that the the author has created. And it does bring in some of these bigger questions into it. And I do appreciate that in 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 these kinds of books. Uh, Zach, you uh, you said you had a problem with art. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty much very well, very traditional big eye small mouth not that um, i had a problem with the art type it's art. <laughs> just the character uh likeness and design uh, the, yeah, mm. the design um besides that i mean everything else was wonderful everything looked super mm-hmm. clean yeah. and what i would expect from mm-hmm. um a japanese work yeah. i guess for me it just and again it's a it's probably a cultural thing that you probably start to see the nuances but you know, when you just pick up this book, it suddenly looks like a million other books that are of the same same form. Well, I think that to some degree, and, you know, this is not meant to be a dig. Normally I would take a shot, but this is not meant to be a shot because I had a similar thing. I think what it is is we're not used to seeing where those differences are. Right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's, we're a, it's not, a cultural nuance. We're not nuance familiar thing. enough with this, with this lexicon and this language right. as far as the visual language because the cross-hatching throughout this is just gorgeous to the point where I was actually occasionally kind of distracted by the backgrounds and the cross-hatching and the beautiful work. And I'm like, how can you read this on a monthly basis and not just sit there and go – Gosh, that's a gorgeous panel. And then I started thinking that maybe that's kind of the point is that you go through and you're like, oh, gosh, this is a gorgeous panel. And, you know, the art looking like proper manga art Mm -hmm. is it may be part of the point. It may be this is this is the correct way to do it. And if you, you know, if you divert too far from it, then you're breaking out that form. You're doing something different. And maybe breaking away from that form means something different. You know, the difference between your Howard Chakins and your John Burns may well, still be there. It's just that I'm not necessarily – I'm not reading enough manga and don't really see enough of the clues to tell. I mean, I, I think I think that's – I think that's pretty much dead on. You know, you look at some guys in, in American superhero comics, you know, in, in superhero comics – there's a certain look to things. Right. And, you know, again, we see this wild variation between, you know, Jack Kirby and Umberto Ramos. Right. right. Um, but people who are not reading American comics might see two things where with like square or rectangular headed guys with giant hands. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Know, and, and, and that's, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah. That's, that's what I was trying to get across. It yeah. looks very traditional, but there are these, Little things. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure that this comes out, you know, like on a on a regular basis, Matthew. I don't think this is a month to month. I think this is a it comes out when it's done kind of thing. And it's everybody's excited about the new new installment, which is a different way of thinking about publishing, you know. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the artist and and explains the. Paint the clearly painstaking, you know, amount of time spent on backgrounds, or right, mm-hmm. you know that that sh- up upward shot of Tokyo Tower, which may have been done digitally, or if it was done by hand, it's pretty impressive. I don't know. In 1990s, yeah. probably not a well. Again, we're talking about Japan, but uh, yeah. you know, probably not a lot of digital going on back then. But uh, you know that that actually was of all the stories in the book was my favorite story. The, it was the one on Tokyo Tower one, yeah. 
Something that, that I you know, hadn't really realized much before this is the creator's uh, clamp. I had always thought that clamp was like some studio full of, you know, guys tied to boards like that episode of the clerk's right. cartoon. Apparently it's an all female group of artists right. who work together as clamp, which I don't know why, but for some reason that kind of changes the way I look at this as opposed to, you know, the more of a, of a communal feel to the creatorship than the corporate expectation that I had previously. When you say this was created by clamp, Mm. I, I I don't know why that would be, but it's interesting to me. To, to well, you I mean, know, it, look at it changes it, it changes the idea. Uh, you know, it 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 takes the things that you're seeing and puts them in a different context. Obviously, yeah, it's puts like a perspective that I hadn't. You know, I hadn't really who, it's it's entirely possible that one person just sat down and designed a thousand dresses for a Subaru sister. <laughs> You know, because she and she wears them all within within the span of you know four or five issues or however long right. this is. Hokuto, and I'm pretty yeah. sure at one point in the last seven years, Clamp and Marvel worked on a project together. I want to say they did, but I can't remember what it was. Was that was that just was that the um that may have been the Marvel uh, manga stuff? It could have been, or was it that um? But it was in 2005. There was also a Star Wars manga project. Did was Marvel involved in that? I'm still looking, so okay. Uh, but any other thoughts on on this uh, on this book? What did you like most about it, Rodrigo? I I enjoyed the that. Um, I think it would have been easy to say to make a to write a book in which is like here's how ghosts work and here's how we fight them and each issue is a different ghost in a different situation and we're fighting them. But we see this underworld just expand and expand and expand with each issue. You know, it's like it's not just ghosts, it's like bad intentions take personal form. There's demons, there are other mystical traditions from other countries and other faiths play into it and they're just over there over there doing their own thing sometimes they like intersect with the story but it's clear that in this world there is this huge you know just dark frightening pool of mysticism where everything's sort of swimming around each other yeah yeah and that feeling again after the first couple stories gets conveyed really well and makes it really interesting zach what about you I enjoyed the really like deep emo- emotional pull of the yeah. Yeah, towards like the middle stories. The Tokyo Tower s- story was very emotional. Um, yeah. The one where he Subaru visits the girl in the hospital in the coma, who is the victim of the rape, was. A oh, yeah, yeah, wonderful yeah. story, yeah, yeah, yeah. and even the one with the girls making the uh, phone calls still had an emotional uh, pull on it above them wanting to be super special and stuff. And so that was just wonderful. I didn't think I could get pulled into uh, a story emotionally so quickly, but totally did. And Matthew, what yeah. about you? 
the thing that I loved about this was the way it was able to completely immerse me in the characters' lives and their culture, no matter how you know different from my day-to-day the culture is. But the worst part of it for me was I didn't necessarily feel like the first chapters were boring. I felt like I was trying to find some place without a map, and it took sure. me about three or four chapters to get even the slightest idea of which way the roads were going. Yeah. By the time I got sucked into it, I felt like I had a lot of effort into getting there. But then it really, I, I felt like there was payoff for that effort, and there was payoff especially as we worked through it. But the ending, and I know that it's the end of volume one, blah, blah, blah. The ending is just maddening because it practically ends in mid-sentence for me. And I'm just like, mm, good it, Frasman. <laughs> I want, you can't just, just <laughs> and then I come back, and this, for, you know, it's, and I, and part of me just kind of wanted to see a little Battle Fever J action in there. Give me, you know, <laughs> give me a guy in a helmet shouting, "Ryu of the Northern Firestar." That, that to me is my expectation of of a of a Japanese storytelling, and this was not that, and that was wonderful, and that was fine. Okay, um, I think as we get into a bottom line discussion here, I think there's some really cool bits in this, um, and there are really good, powerful stories. The art is what you're typically going to me, what you typically would find. It's very well done. Um, but for me, I'm going to have to say, borrow this. I don't think that this is for everyone. I think there's some good stuff in there, but I think you have to be a right frame of mind. And I think it's something that you might want to build up to. So this is a check it out from the library. If your library has it, Zach, what about you? Um, do we know how much this is going to cost? I do yeah, not. I I, let me, up. let me I look and I'll find 1399. it. Um, well, if this is only thirteen ninety nine, I would say it might just be worth picking it up, I think. Because um, even if you haven't really read any manga like I have, the whole format is not a hindrance enough no, to uh-uh. still enjoy the the stories that are inside this. And I, th- I think the art is wonderful, and the, the stories, like I said earlier, are uh, deep and emotional, and are just extremely well done. So, if Maybe I think the price way. is right, um, nineteen ninety nine. I'm cheap for five hundred pages. For five hundred pages, that's a lot of pages for twenty bucks. Five hundred pages. It might still be worth picking up. You're paying two ninety nine for twenty pages with Marvel and DC. That's true. This is five times as much for nearly a thousand times. No, that's not right. Matthew, what about you? Give us us your final thoughts on this book. My final thoughts are, this is not easy to get into, but it's worth getting into. And if you're into manga and you already know the bits and the pieces and the shmagegi, definitely grab it. I would say at the very least, this is worth a look. This is worth checking into. I'm glad that we had the extra week, although I'm sad that we didn't have a show last week. Because I spent the week just checking Wikipedia oh, yeah, I and did that various too. websites and looking up, you know, the background of all yeah, of this yeah, yeah. cosmology and, you know, the, the Onomiyaki and all of the things that they're going you through. Know, 
And then I'd run into, oh, wait, well, what's what's an Inugami? I'm right, going to right. have to go look that up. You know, that's part of the fun. I, I I really like that as part of the fun. And and I know you say this kind of throws you in and you're trying to – there's no roadmap and you have to figure it out. And I do kind of like that in these types of stories where there's a huge universe and mm-hmm. as you migrate through it, you're kind yep. of funneling down to very specific things. But you're just kind of thrown in headfirst into this big, wide world. And, you know, eventually it comes to the the big points. And so I I yeah. really, really like that. I think that it's awesome that it's not a, a number one issue mentality. It's right. We've showed up in the 16th year of this kid's life and all of the previous things are happening and all of those things are important. And we'll get to those when we get to them. But right now, a girl is about to get, you know, a nosebleed and dodgeball. And we're going to go <laughs> deal with that now. Rodrigo, what about you? Um, I've been wanting to read Tokyo Babylon for a while because it's one of those that keeps popping up uh, in my radar. I think when it came out, it became an important work. I, I really don't know. I don't, I'm not as connected uh, with the uh, manga scene as as I as I would like to be. Um, but reading through it, I was not disappointed. I think that it, you know, a lot of the time I complain about magic and comics, and what I liked about this is that clearly there is structure. You know, the the people that are writing this came up with an idea of how things were going to work. And they they follow through with it throughout. There's romance. There's mystery. There's all kind of cool things. I think if you're if you want to get into manga or if you're already into it, there's no reason not to pick this up. Um, it's gonna seem old. There are things like people using payphones and beepers and things. But if you can get past that, which is cool, yeah, you should be able to um, eventually within a couple chapters get right into this. So I would say if you have any interest in any of the things we've talked about, I'd say pick it up. All right. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the major spoilers experience next week. We're going to kind of continue with the theme to an extent. by taking a look at Alex Ross's battle of the planets. Why? Because we know that you love comics. We do too. And we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Yes, I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as that comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. Major spoiler, what a major spoiler. Oh, wait, I think I found a better way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just buzz through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all those tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I bag and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. I'm gonna start raving rage like a man of 
be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart to hold the fall entire storyline. What I really even need to keep up on all those escapades. I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being caught up in a fun beat in the Middle East with a game set the wind soldier. Spoilers is copyright 2013. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.